The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. Our guest today is Paloma Lev. Paloma is a business coach who helps her clients become more confident in sales and negotiation. In today's episode, she shares the keys to overcoming fear in these difficult conversations. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Paloma, thanks for joining us today. Hi, everybody. So how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I was just a shy kid who was an unlikely candidate to be an entrepreneur, but my mama took me under her wing as a shy kid who didn't really know how to ask for what I wanted. Definitely not a confident kid. And she just so happened to be a marketing coach. And through her guidance, through her mentorship, I eventually became myself a confidence coach. And so now I teach entrepreneurs how to communicate confidently, how to negotiate on their own behalf, how to pitch like a badass so that people say an enthusiastic yes to their offers. And so currently I'm the leader of the Badass Communicators Club. We have over 1,300 crazy fun entrepreneurs from around the world. And I work one-on-one with my awesome clients, teaching them how to communicate and how to sell and how to pitch what they love. Fantastic. And we met digitally. We haven't met in person. We were, was it Andrew McDonald that put us together? Yes. Yeah. And so you're in Toronto, I'm in Columbus, but now we have this budding friendship, um, (laughs) like the typical millennial entrepreneurs. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. All of our best friendships are long distance relationships these days. It's crazy, but it's cool. It allows us to connect. Definitely. So the reason I wanted to have you on the show today is because a lot of the listeners, when they reach out to me, they say that their biggest concern or their biggest struggle is fear of negotiating. And after talking to you a number of times, I know this is one of your strengths, taking especially young entrepreneurs from that state of, as you call it, negotiophobia to confident communicators. So in your opinion, why is it so important to get over this fear if you want to be an effective professional? Definitely. So life is not fair. And the people who are more confident, the people who are better at negotiating on their own behalf, get more advantages. And this skill translates across all different areas in terms of your relationships, your job opportunities. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to advocate for yourself and pitch. So it's really important to me that young people understand just how important it is to ask for what they want. Other people are not going to offer you the best deal for yourself. Everybody's self-interested. And we need to understand that the best potential offer is the one that we end up making. So it's just a crucial skill. It's it's non-negotiable that you understand how to negotiate well on your own behalf. And the wonderful thing is 
you don't have to be the richest. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the most connected. It's not really your resources. It's your resourcefulness. And a great negotiator is highly resourceful. If it's important to you that you live a life that you're excited by, as opposed to someone else dictating the terms of your life, if it's important for you that you build your own dream rather than building someone else's dream, then it is absolutely crucial that you become an excellent negotiator. I agree 100%. And what's cool about this, especially seeing what got you into this, it's really similar to what got me into this because I was really bad at this in my youth. And I guess what this shows is that all of these are skills. They can be learned. Definitely. I mean, it's kind of funny because a lot of us entrepreneurs, we learned what we needed to learn for ourselves. Like I wasn't planning to be a coach. I don't know if Kwame imagined that he would be teaching so many people about negotiation. It's more so that we needed it for ourselves. We understood that advantages are handed out unfairly in life. But if you learn this skill, all doors open for you. So you stop worrying about acquiring things outside of you because you understand that you have the skill within you. You build equity within yourself through learning these skills. And I'm more confident than ever in my life that I can have and do anything. And that's what I want for my clients. That's what I want for everyone listening. The conviction that you can have and do anything backed up with the skills and also the feeling of confidence when it comes to negotiating. Right. You know, a funny point based on what you said, kind of how we got into the coaching. My background is psychology. That's what I had my, got my degree in. And I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. And one of the jokes they have in the psychology community is that people like to study the things that they're struggling with. So if you if you're studying like you're specializing in learning about depression, it's like, oh, you are somebody you love probably struggled with depression. That's how you got there. And that's how we got to our coaching positions, too. Right. And it just goes to show it means you can start anywhere. Exactly. So in your opinion, what are some of the psychological and emotional barriers that lead to negotiophobia? Yeah, great question. A lot of the time we base our sense of okayness and worth on what other people think of us. And that is a kind of flimsy foundation for us to set our sense of self on, right? The world becomes a really fun, exciting, interesting place when you become less invested in how other people see you and how other people experience you. So, you know, I myself and my clients have cultivated this true feeling that, yes, I would love you to like me but I don't need you to like me, right? And so another thing is that people are so freaking afraid of the word no. They add all of this painful meaning to the word no, and their understanding of the word no hinders them from asking. So the assumptions we have about the word no, it means I'm bad, I'm wrong, I shouldn't have asked, this person's going to be mad at me now. I've inconvenienced them. Those are all narratives that you've put on yourself and made it harder for you to ask. Actually, no is information. You should give yourself a pat on the back that you had the courage to ask. No actually starts the conversation because now you can say to them, great, thank you for letting me know that you know there's some area of objection and you can explore that. A no does not mean no forever. No is a very specific kind of no, no based on the very particular offer in the state that I'm in right now, based on the information that I have. But no's are potentially negotiable as well. So if you stop taking a no as a rejection, people make stuff so personal and that's what makes it hurt, right? But if you can delight in the no's, you know, I believe Kwame and I were talking about Jia Jiang before. He did this project 
to receive a hundred no's and he called this rejection therapy. And the benefit of getting comfortable with no is you'll be surprised at all the things that you ask for that you actually end up getting a yes. But asking is necessary. You have to ask. Nobody else is thinking, how can I make this person the best deal possible? But other people do want to please you and make you happy. So once you've clearly articulated what you want, it's more possible. So I would say just renegotiate with yourself the way that you understand a no and stop telling yourself it means a rejection. If anything, pat yourself on the back that you asked. I love this because I think the coolest thing that you said is that when somebody rejects your request, when they say no, they're not rejecting you as a person. They're rejecting this specific offer in this specific time. And that's one of the keys to self-confidence and self-esteem because your self-worth isn't tied to people's opinions of you. And once you're able to recognize that if somebody rejects this offer, it's not an indictment of myself as an individual. It's just a rejection of my substantive request that makes it a lot easier to handle. Definitely. And you know, it's interesting. Barbara Corcoran of Shark Tank, the short haired blonde lady, someone asked her, what's your best business advice? She said, do not take anything personally. Funny to say that in that context of business, but do not take anything personally. And you know, the kind of funny thing is, it's also a little bit of ego to say that all this is about you. When you're making a pitch to a potential client and they say, I'm not sure or no, to make it about you is actually losing losing the opportunity to explore what their fear is. A lot of the time people don't say no because they don't like you. Actually, it has nothing to do with you and it's kind of funny that you're making it about you. More than anything, they have some anxieties, they have some fears. You know, when someone is saying yes or no to a purchase decision, They have their sense of self on the line. Like, I know that we've all made purchases that we've regretted. We feel stupid. We feel foolish. We feel like we wasted our money. We feel like we didn't do our homework. So it's about us. And to make it about yourself when you receive a no means that you lose the opportunity to learn something valuable so you can reposition your offer. Right. Oh, that is so cool. I love this. I really do. So when it was you, let's kind of zoom in on your life. When you were making this transition, what are some things that you did to become more comfortable in these difficult conversations? Yeah, great question. So if I was going to give a methodology behind becoming more confident, and that extends to asking confidently. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. 
Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You need to do stuff that terrifies you. And if you're not doing things that scare you all the time, then you're not growing, you're not expanding. It's sort of like muscle tears. You have to feel the pain. Like whenever we pick a face mask, we want one that's a little bit tingling so we know it works. We want toothpaste that burns so we know it works. Um, When your muscles shake, you know it's working. So you need to be asking daily, daily for something. What helped me was that I did a lot of things that scared me. And so For example, in university, I posed naked for an art class. I found that terrifying. I gave a lecture to a university class of, I believe, 70 or so, 70 to 100 students. I found that terrifying. I did that. I competed in a debate tournament. I was anxious about that for so freaking long, and that was a remarkable experience. And what you start to realize is there's thinking pain and there's doing pain. Thinking pain is all of the catastrophizing, the anxiety, the narratives we put on it, all of our worrying. And then doing pain is like, you know, when I gave that lecture to that class, 10 minutes in, the fire alarm went off. And, you know, there is some pain in doing. And the pain in doing is that we want to be able to control things that we can't. That's the pain. But if we get comfortable with understanding that life is one big improvisation and nobody knows exactly what they're doing and that the best of us are improvising and winging it still, we can be a little gentler on ourselves in the process. So thinking pain is the catastrophizing. Doing pain is when you just do it and you're like, oh man, this is scary. But thinking pain is infinitely worse. And so, you know, we get people like Mel Robbins with the five second rule who say you have five seconds before your brain talks you out of it, right? Right. So lurch towards, walk your feet towards that so-called important person, send that email. And the more you do scary things, the more you'll be comfortable doing scary things. You know, I believe we all have a kind of physiological equivalent when we're nervous. And so, you know, we get pain in our chest or our hearts beat really hard. If we stop taking that as a cue to stop and we start taking that as a cue that what we're doing is meaningful and worthwhile, we can guide ourselves, we can parent ourselves We can lead ourselves to be braver because bravery is not something that you have or you don't have. Bravery has to do with action. Confidence has to do with action and the corresponding feeling follows it. This is brilliant. And it goes hand in hand with the idea that fear feeds on time. Mm. And so the more time you give the fear, the more it can eat and the bigger and stronger it gets. And so, like you said, with Mel Robbins, if you make sure that you make a decision and take action within five seconds, then it makes it easier to take action because you haven't given fear time to take hold. And exactly, if you look at your comfort zone as almost like a physical, tangible bubble, I think that helps because there are going to be things that lay outside of our comfort zone. And if we constantly push the boundary of our comfort zone, it's like a rubber band. If a rubber band expands too far, it's not going to go back. It's not going to contract. And that's what we can experience with our comfort zone. Now we have taken this risk. We realize that we survived it. It wasn't that bad. And now our comfort zone has expanded and there are more things that lie within our comfort zone. Definitely. And you know, it's kind of interesting because I decided to gamify this process for my clients, make it into a fun kind of activity, which I call DNP daily negotiation practice, where essentially, if you don't ask for anything that day, you get zero points. 
If you ask and you get a yes, you get one point. If you ask and you get a no, you get two points. And you might think it's kind of weird that you get more points for a no than a yes. But the goal is to de-link the process and the outcomes. Because if you are trying to control the thing you can control, which is the outcomes, then you won't show up to engage in the process, right? And so our goal is to get people in the arena to, you know, ask every day. And if you receive a no, we celebrate no's. My VIPs in, in my online course, we post and we say, hey, I just got a two point no today. And we virtually high five each other because the amount of courage it took is wonderful. And then you'll be surprised at all the yeses you get. At the end of the day, there's something I call the comfort myth. And this is like my clients say to me, I'm not comfortable with that yet. I'm not ready yet. And I say to them with love, because I don't BS. I say like, with love, you don't get to be comfortable. I've been working for myself since I was 19. None of it was comfortable. None of it. (laughs) And still, now that I've reached a new level of success, it's still not comfortable because there's still more I want to do. And for me to be able to reach that next level of I have to confront the next level of myself. We have to conquer ourselves in all this. So who says that you get to be comfortable? You don't get to be comfortable. And when you start to remind yourself, like, you don't get to be comfortable, you show up scared, you show up with your hands shaking, you show up and you can be as awkward as you want, you can be as clumsy as you want. I say to my clients who are nervous about writing something, make sure 50% of it's bad. Make sure that your voice is trembling. Make sure you have a technology failure in your interview, you know? Like, give yourself the license to so-called screw up. But what is mandatory is that you show up. You can screw up, but you have to show up. Exactly. You know, what's really interesting about this is that um, it's the reprogramming of your mind that's happening with your clients that's Mm -hmm. really giving them the strength. Because now they're not seeing failure as something to be avoided. It's something to be sought after almost. Because I think about the song, All I Do Is Win, Win, Win. And I used to like that song. And then I realized, I'm like, if all you do is win, you're really not pushing yourself very hard. Because (laughs) if you're not embracing failure, you're not growing. And I think back to when I was younger, even in undergrad, I used to be deathly afraid of public speaking. I remember one of my friends in high school, when I had to give an announcement before school started, he he talked to me afterwards. He's like, I couldn't tell if you were talking or crying. (laughs) (laughs) It was that bad. And now just because I forced myself to do it, I said, if I feel fear, I'm going to run straight to that fear. So if there was an opportunity to speak, I was like, yep, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And now we see last year, I did a TED Talk and it turned out really well, but it was all practiced. I had to force myself to do it. It wasn't comfortable, but it led to the growth that I needed. Right. And you know, what's interesting. I have this friend, Johnny, who has had kind of explosive success online. He went from being a cleaner to making over 30K a month through his own business. And I was just having a one-on-one talk with him. And a lot of the time we make these assumptions about the people that we look up to, right? Like I look up to people, people look up to me, people look up to you, Kwame, and probably think, oh, this dude is fearless. And it's kind of funny how we sort of put people that we respect on this pedestal I remember listening to an interview of Lisa Nichols's and people were saying to her, wow, it's so amazing what you accomplished. I could never do that. And she says, when you say I could never do that, you put me on a pedestal and you let yourself off the hook. The truth is the people that you look up to, they're scared too, but they just don't use it as an excuse like that's okay to quit 
or punk out just because you're scared. And so what Johnny told me is he was like, Ploma, I try seven things a week. I try seven new things a week. And he's like, yes, we celebrate the successes, but you don't see all the things that flop. And to have the courage to try seven new things a week, I thought that was remarkable. And it's funny, you know, I have a lot of friends who are Facebook group leaders, you know, have huge tribes of people following them and looking up to them. And in these little private masterminds that some of us group leaders get together and we chat, it's not like we're all saying, oh, life is so good. Everything is so amazing. It's all people talking about their fears and anxieties and pains. So just be careful about putting other people above you. Like no one's above you. No one's below you. The truth is we don't all start in the same place in this life that some people are given distinct advantages. But if you start a little bit behind, it just means that you're going to be even more resilient and even more powerful in this crazy game. Absolutely. And to follow up, to wrap up this part of the conversation for the audience, I have a book reference. The book reference is Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it, mm. talk, it breaks people down into two groups. You have a group of people who have a growth mindset. And those are people who believe that if you work hard, you can get better. And people who have a Oh my gosh, what's the other line? I know this. What's fixed that? Mindset? Thank you. Fixed mindset. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so if you have a, a fixed mindset, one of the things that comes with that belief system is the belief in talent. And either you have it or you don't. And right. it goes into exactly what you were saying. You were saying that a lot of times we look at the all-stars and we say, oh, they're just really good at it. They have it. They didn't always have it. They worked for it. And once you are willing to embrace the fact that you're going to need to work for it and it's not going to be comfortable, that's when you're going to start to hit that new level. So again, with these difficult conversations, these negotiations, or when you're trying to manage conflict, it's never really going to be easy or fun. And we shouldn't use that feeling of discomfort as a signal that we are not good at it or we can't be good at it, but it's just a signal that we need to work. Yeah. And you know what? I would love to tell our listeners an embarrassing story because I think that, you know, we're all friends here on the worldwide <laughs> internet. Um, I remember one of my essays. So in high school, I was like an A student, especially in English. That was my area of strength. When I went to university, I went to the University of Toronto, which is arguably the best or one of the best schools in Canada. And I remember one of the first essays that I got back, I got a mark of 69%. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to the teacher. He obviously made a mistake. He met 96 I'll just clarify, like, you know, he clearly made a mistake here. And I remember going to his office hours, a little bit worried, and said, like, yo, what's the deal with this? I don't get 60s. I'm an A student. And, you know, he pointed out, he was like, Paloma, this essay could be a lot better. And I remember, like, kind of feeling kind of crappy. And I said, I don't understand what happened. I mean, I was such a good essay writer in high school. I feel like I'm getting worse. And he said, no, Paloma, you're not getting worse. The game is getting harder. So I always took that lesson with me when it comes to entrepreneurship, when it comes to negotiating, you're not getting worse. A lot of the time your skills are up leveling, but as you do so, you become hungry for the next challenge. And so you're not getting worse. You're testing yourself more. You're moving to the next level, which brings new challenges. But at the end of the day, All of this, when I say it's all about ego, it's also a fear of vulnerability. A lot of my clients self-identify as perfectionists. I don't think I ever had the luxury of being a perfectionist because I was always kind of like messy around the edges. So I've become comfortable with being a very good shinist, you know, (laughs) And, and you don't have to like, not only you don't have to be perfect, but 
it doesn't even make sense what it would mean to be perfect. And also, if that's your goal, you're alienating other people. One amazing way to build rapport is a little bit of a self-deprecating comment, right? So if your goal is just that I'm going to be this seamless, perfect person in front of other people so they can't ding me on my vulnerabilities, we all have vulnerabilities. And as soon as you get peaceful within yourself, as soon as you accept those things and understand that your strength and your weakness are part of each other and it's a mixed bag. I liken it to like when you reach your hand into a bowl of M&Ms, you can't just pick out the red ones. Like you get a mixed handful. So one thing that I realized about myself kind of later in life was that I had ADD and I was like, oh no, that, that's why it's so hard to organize myself. The benefit of that is that I could have 10 clients in a day and not get exhausted, right? This kind of inexhaustible energy. So if you make peace with your vulnerability, if you make peace with your baggage, if you accept it, you love it, you respect it, you thank it for everything that it gave you, you thank it for your wisdom. I always say your gifts cluster around your traumas. I believe it to be true. And you get more peaceful with that, then you stop worrying about how does this person see me? It's like, do you like yourself? If you like yourself, that's what you need. I love and this. everything else is extra. Oh, this is brilliant. It sounds a lot like, um, are you familiar with Daring Greatly? Yes, of yes. course. Brittany Brown is my sister. <laughs> yeah, she is amazing. <laughs> so another book recommendation, Brene Brown's book called Daring Greatly. I think it was new, yeah. number one in the New York Times bestseller list at one point. It is fantastic. And it talks about the power of vulnerability, the importance of vulnerability, and how it can really accelerate your success personally and professionally. Um, strongly recommended, especially for males, because we kind of live in a world where males are expected to be strong and have that machismo, and that really can inhibit our, our progress. So checking that out would be really good. And if you just want a Sparks Notes version, check out her TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, Brene Brown is amazing. And it's, you know, it's kind of funny. So one of my friends who's a podcaster, he and I were just chatting. And he said, Paloma, do you know what the number one request people ask of him when he produces their podcast is? Any guess what their number one request is in like post production? Oh, as a podcaster, I, I'm pretty sure it is removing us and ums. Hey, <laughs> yes, you're Brilliant. Yes, that's exactly it. So he said, how did you know? Remove all the like, um, and us. And he's like, first of all, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. It's a waste of my time. Second of all, people identify with people who are not perfect. You know, when I say, um, guys, newsflash, I'm thinking, I'm still typing in my brain. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what I'm saying mid sentence, you know? So the goal in all of this is like connection then vulnerability brings connection. It makes connection possible. If your goal is to be above other people so that they look up to you, that's a kind of false authority. There's earned authority and there's ascribed authority. The kind of ascribed authority is like your university professor, a police officer, someone who is given authority by their position. And then there's earned authority. Look at how some YouTubers have a million plus followers. They were not knighted. They were not kissed on the forehead by God and told you are the one <laughs> like they nominated themselves. They shared cool stuff with people. And those people decided consented to being influenced by them. So I would lovingly recommend to people 
in your career, don't just seek to build your money empire, seek to build your influence empire. And the way that we do that is we begin by influencing ourselves. Everyone wants to be an influencer. But just like Michael Jackson said, what's the quote, Kwame? If you want to make the world a better place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, look yourself in the mirror and start with yourself. So if you want to be an influencer, first influence yourself. And trust me, when I've made big leaps in my life, I don't need to like wave a flag of like, look what I did. People are like, people notice and they say, Plum, will you teach me what you learned? So if you start from a place of influencing yourself, really the sky's the limit. I love this. Oh man, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> and what's funny, because we have, and so that's yep. why I know we can. <laughs> but but we, we definitely need to have you back on because this was really, really helpful. But before you go, can you let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you and, and learn more about your work? Yeah, definitely. So you can come hang out with some crazy fun entrepreneurs in the Baddest Communicators Club on Facebook. You just search the Baddest Communicators Club. Feel free to add me, Paloma Lev, and let us know, like hop in and let us know what you're working on, how you are in your stages of negotiophobia. If you are, you know, being brave enough to try this daily negotiation practice, share your nose with us and we will virtually high five you. Because really showing up, you show up enough times, you are in a barbershop enough times, you're going to get a haircut, go to the gym enough, you're going to get fit. Just keep showing up and other people will really admire you for the courage it takes to show up. I love this. Thank you so much. My pleasure. How fun. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're finding this information helpful, please remember to leave a review and subscribe. Our goal is to teach this to as many people as possible. And every time you leave a review, it makes it easier for people to find us in the search engines. With your support and listenership, we've grown to the point where we are now the number one ranked negotiation podcast, and we have listeners in 140 different countries. We appreciate your continued support and please continue to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Remember, everybody who connects with me gets a personal message from me eventually. It takes time because uh, more and more people have been reaching out, but I want to hear from you and we actually get to chat. So continue to reach out. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you in the next one.